everyone welcome again to instagram live wow we are trying this again we had some technical difficulties yesterday apparently you can't live stream outdoors when it's a hundred degrees with your phone against your hot laptop because that will make your phone overheat and everything will shut down so we are going to try it again today indoors um and hopefully it'll go a little bit smoother. So thank you for your patience, um, and we're just gonna try again. So we um, have had a really full end to our summer, um, and we are capping that off this week. Um, on Sunday, we're having our fifth birthday celebration. We're gonna be commissioning Andrew and Jesse um, as pastors, and then we're gonna have a old-fashioned potluck um, with our whole community, so please, please bring something to share, um, and then preferably also something to serve it with, because we just don't have a lot of extra utensils. So thank you for doing that, we'll see you then. Um, and now we're gonna jump right into it again. Um, we're gonna be talking with Robert today um, about his sermon from the park um, a couple weeks ago. In that sermon, Robert looked at Jesus' instructions to the apostles in Matthew 10. Um, he talked about what it means to be the church, sent ones in the way of Jesus, and our command to listen, obey the challenge to go into the world, and take upon us the easy yoke of Jesus, the light burden that tells our anxieties that God's grace is sufficient for today. And today we're going to talk more about that. All right, one second, we'll get Robert in. That should be good. Hello. Hello, hello again. Be together. Uh, you know, the first one, I didn't do very well. So now I've got, I've had time, we're ready. Let's Great, perfect, sounds good. All right, um, and apparently there was like some weird feedback stuff um on both of our ends yesterday too so this will work out great now everyone can hear all the words <laughs> even better even better <laughs> all right so we'll just go ahead and jump right in um so we're gonna start with talking about um deconstruction and that idea um so speaking you spoke about um just the like mass exodus from the church of um, specifically youth and young people, but in general, um, ha as Boise has become like overwhelmingly less religious as it used to. And I found that interesting because in my own life, I've seen and experienced um, this to be overwhelmingly true, um, especially with the dis disillusionment of asking like, is this all there is for me? I'm not interested in like this idea of playing church. Um, what is what can church look like for me? So what is your opinion on that term deconstruction? Because I found it interesting that you didn't use that term in your um, Do you think it's useful? How would you define it? Um, and then what's been your experience? Like, have you had a deconstruction, reconstruction experience? Um, how do you think about that? All those ideas now? Yeah. Uh... I, I didn't use the term deconstruction, uh, probably because just every, everything gets so politicized so quickly. And mm -hmm. you'll find that I don't like using like uh, kind of hot terminology for that reason. Yeah. Uh, 
But I, I think explaining what deconstruction is is probably more useful. Mm -hmm. And when you when you talk with young adults and when you talk with, you know, I, I come from like a middle aged adult perspective. Uh, I look at my friendships and the people that I grew up with and many, many of them have decided that church is not useful to them, that it's not something that's worth their investment. And for many of them, that's primarily because of um, some combination of disappointment with their experience or like trauma from church and spiritual community hmm. and or what I would call moral injury, which is uh, they, they experience people who claim to be followers of Jesus. And then during the last eight years of, of our political life as a country, um, they have what being a Christian means now is different than it meant eight years ago. Eight years mm -hmm. ago, based to be a Christian that was not politically engaged with only one party, or now the Christian is literally a political term. It's mm -hmm. not primarily a religious term. Evangelical is not uh, a religious term or a religious identity. In fact, when you press people who claim their evangelical identity and you push them on what they actually believe, only about like 40% of those people understand or believe the basic tenets um, of, mm -hmm. of evangelicalism. They, but they see their identity as evangelical because they are religious or um, political or cu cultural conservatives. Mm -hmm. So, so those, the words are just like meaningless now. And people are, people are walking away from the experience they've had in church. And most of them are not, not deconstructing faith, they're deconstructing um, religion. They're deconstructing their religious experience. And for that, I want to say, good. Like that is something we want to support because yeah. if we don't look at our religious experience and look at it in the, in the lens of, is this true to what God taught? Is this true to what the Bible says? Is this true to the way of Jesus? Um, then we're just religious people. We are not people who are learning the way of Jesus. And when you look at each of the major movements of the church historically, you look at the, the Continental Reformation in the 1500s, and you look at the English Reformation, and then you look at the first wave of evangelicalism in the 19th century, the second wave in the 20th century, each of those were rejection and a reformation of the way of being the church in the world that was a deconstruction of what had come before. And each of them were deconstructing different elements, teachings, historical traditions of the church. And I think that what we're seeing is it started 20 years ago with a group of Gen X evangelicals who said, we think there's something more than going to church and um, building big buildings for people to come seek God. We think that God is calling us to be his people in the world. And that missional movement has brought with it a, a tension where people are asking different questions of what the church should be. And now we're seeing kind of the, the rupturing where we're, we're starting to see this. Okay. There's people who want to follow Jesus and there's people who want to play church and like the church needs to say, we need to follow Jesus, not play church. Mm -hmm. Problem is those two things are still happening. So, so I'm, I'm on board with deconstruction in the, in the terms that 
that's what we've been doing primarily as spiritual leaders is stripping away everything that we can that gets in the way of people following the way of Jesus, mm -hmm. spiritual community that is um, formed by God's spirit rather than by authority or demands from a community or a tradition. Um, we want to, we want to challenge people to own the way of Jesus in the world as they live on mission rather than wait for uh, permission from religious leaders to do the work mm -hmm. they're called to. And so we are deconstructing. And even our, you know, we call ourselves a microchurch network that's part of a microchurch movement. That is a decentering from Sunday and an attractional model into a missional model because we want to empower people to live out their faith and to see it come to life in their neighborhoods, not just come and be a part of a gathering that is at a church. So yeah, that's kind of the way that I approach it. Totally. Um, what has been, what would you say has been like your journey with that? Like as an individual, have you always had that, that idea about Christianity uh, and your own faith or how has that changed for you? Um, so I, I grew up a pastor's kid and what you'll find is that pastor's kids are very cynical, like as a group. And there's a reason for that. They were not shielded from the, the, uh, the bad behavior of the adults in their church. They like, experience it firsthand and they watch their parents suffer, um, needlessly at the hands of people who are playing church. And so uh, what Andy Stanley, I like Andy Stanley a lot. I, he's, he's a guy who I think is, who speaks truthfully. And what he says is he, he loves pastor's kids because they, uh, they're not going to put up with BS. And that, that I think is true across the board. They're going to look at it. They're not going to be impressed with a big church or mm -hmm. like the professionalism of church. Yeah. They're, good, they're looking for the real thing because they've experienced the real thing. A lot of times in their parents or in some people in their life and they're going, I want to make something that's worth doing. Yeah. So I think I've always had some, some element of um, like I see church as a creative place, not a traditional place mm. where into it. We're literally building a community in real time and we are experiencing and creating um, a a, an environment for the kingdom of God to break in each week. And yeah. so as a creative act, it changes what church is. It's not a matter of me consuming. It's a matter of me coming and bringing who I am to it. Now I did have, when I was 16, I walked away from my faith and just decided that I wasn't sure if Jesus was real or if it mattered. And I spent four or five years piecing together what that meant. Mm -hmm. And when I came back, wasn't ready to jump into church life, but I was ready to follow Jesus. And that's why I spent 10 years as a missionary in the parachurch movement I was a part of is because it was, it had a lot of the things I was looking for as I deconstructed my faith. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, so sort of shifting to a similar vein, um, as you're talking about being a missionary um, in your own context and um, just all the ways that that's played out for you. Um, I would just love to hear you talk about the language of missionary. Um, for me, it sometimes has a weird taste in my mouth because I, I associate it more with like colonialism or like coming into a like community somewhere that's not America and forcing Christianity on people who aren't willing to receive it. 
um, forcing our like Western Christianity onto a non-Western culture, that sort of thing. Um, so I'd love to hear you talk about how you think about the word missionary. Was that ever a weird thing for you? Did you have to reclaim it for yourself? Uh, you know, we, we kind of chatted about this the other day, but I, I've been thinking more about it. And like, there's, there's like, when you look at the history of missions, you have these different eras. Um, and it, it started with, I mean, it, literally in the first century, you have Thomas going all the way to India mm -hmm. and bringing this message of this savior that, that people in India literally had no idea who he was or what he was doing. And there was nothing about Thomas being in India that had to do with cultural hegemony. Mm -hmm. it, it was showing up and saying, I've got good news. Yeah. The one who brings justice, the one who set things right has come and I know him. Yeah. And it's like a beauty to the purity of that. Um, you see in the first century missionaries going to the Iberian Peninsula, all the way up to even England in the first century, all the way down to South Africa. So like there's this missionary expansion that's fraught, like, you know, ancient world travel that was the most dangerous thing you could have done in the ancient world. So like, there's like this, to me, there's the center of the word missionary is just people who are um, embodying the way of Jesus and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom in new places um, or faithfully doing it in the place that they've been sent. Um, so I, I start there and I, I look at that and I go, that's a, that's a beautiful picture that had, there was no power, there's no prestige, there was no money. All they were doing was just like saying over there, no one knows and they have to know and I've got to go. Um, and then you have really, it's, it kind of, it changes with Constantine and the Roman empire that co-opted Christianity for the sake of power in the third century, fourth century. Um, missionary becomes a, a way of creating cultural space for Roman rule, even that early, which uh, was a perversion of the way of Jesus, where they used cultural and military and economic power to convert people through domination and what what's happened in those places is that it wasn't real like mm -hmm. there have been some people who took on the way of jesus in those spaces but um you look at the strength of the churches in those places there's a religious identity but there's not deep faith national churches tend to en engender a, a a patriotism and a sense of identity without true spiritual formation and you see that in america too with without without the, the nationalism of, of a national church, you have people with this Christian identity that has nothing to do with their faith. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'm, I'm, I love the word missionary, but I feel like we have to reclaim it and we have to recenter it around that simple idea that we as God's people are sent out to be kingdom, uh, like we call them outposts or like, uh, like this underground kingdom that's working its way through the world like yeast and it can't be stopped because it's too powerful and it's too small. Um, this, this book, The Starfish and the Spirit, is all about, um, it's all about the strength of these underground networks that can't be killed. Like El mm. or the Chinese underground church, you can't kill those things. They're too powerful and too destructive. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a book called The Starfish and the Spider 
which like you cut off the head of a spider, it dies. You cut off the arm of a starfish, it multiplies. Yeah. And that's the way the church is. Um, so I think the the word missionary, I want to reclaim it and say that's the fundamental identity of those who follow Jesus as we yeah. live. Mm -hmm. Right. Thank you. Um, so you said, I'm going to just read you something that you said. Um, and then ask you about it. So you said um, along these lines, the good news does not come dressed in glory, but in servanthood with real spiritual power, um, which I love. I love that idea. I think it's really poetic um, thinking about how how the, the good news comes dressed in. I love that idea and what it what it actually looks like for us to live it out um, as we almost as if we're like wearing the good news. Right. Um, so as we are living out our calling as missionaries in our day to day, what does it look like um, for the good news to come in servanthood and through that avenue? What does that look like for us? Yeah, <clears throat> when when I wrote that, I wasn't thinking about um, like grand acts of service. I was really thinking about the daily work of saying no to myself and yes to other people yeah uh, way that was costly and so when when you're thinking about what does it look like to see the gospel go out um one of the questions we ask a lot is what is good news to our neighborhood because if it doesn't feel like good news and if it doesn't sound like good news it isn't good news you know so we have to we have to reshape what good news is and it and it's, it always takes a cultural expression that is embodying the flourishing of humanity that comes with the kingdom. Um, it, in, it engages the wisdom of God that comes from his word and the way of Jesus. And then it also <clears throat> comes wrapped in the way of Jesus. It's not good news if it's not the way of Jesus. Yeah. In the 20th century, but we believed that if we disembodied the message into this mass appeal of of a disembodied like set of ideas uh you know like any simple gospel presentation then that itself was powerful enough to penetrate people's lives hmm. and i think you know I, i'm a part of that movement um i have been at those rallies and i've i've taught kids the four spiritual laws and i think that um those ideas are powerful enough to spark interest. But the reason people believe is because they experience the good news through the person who's, who's embodying it to them. Mm -hmm. and, and so when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking about as we go throughout our days, um, the good news looks like instead of, instead of me and using my privilege to get what I want and what I need, I lay down my rights um, so that other people can get, can taste God's love. Mm -hmm. Like in my life, that looks like uh, instead of demanding that my neighbors look more like me, I go to where they are. You know, yeah. like one of my neighbors had this like massive birthday party and it, there's a lot of things there that wasn't a part of my life and my culture, but I went into that space because I love them. Yeah. And I, I was a, a peculiar person because I, <laughs> I laid down my right for my comfort to enter into a space that I was nervous about. And yeah. I got to see some, some kingdom conversations in powerful ways in that space. Um, it looks like 
when I serve, I don't do it to be seen. And so like practicing mm. Jesus, Jesus did this work of like what we call the, the secret kingdom. <laughs> um, he literally kept secrets about the good things that God was doing because they weren't ready for it yet. And it wasn't about who did it. It was about them experiencing it. So we want to do blessing in a way that doesn't aggrandize me. And I'm not going to tell you about the things that I do because I don't, I don't want that, but right. like, Finding ways of serving people without them knowing, I think mm -hmm. is a powerful way for people to experience the blessings of God, even if they don't know it's from God yet. Um, and then I think in our world, it's pretty radical to, to talk about faith is to lay down my privilege to determine how you see me. Like if I'm going to talk about my faith, it's going to cost me something. And mm -hmm. if questions about deep things it's a it's a risk that i'm taking in my in my reputation and yeah. so when we do that we are disadvantaging ourselves by saying hey tell me a little bit about your background your family and your spiritual life like yeah. what, what created you how did you become who you are mm -hmm. that's a question that will just open mm -hmm. up opportunities for conversation but it really requires you to put yourself out there and wait to see what's going to happen you you could lose that friendship. You could lose um, social cachet. Um, you could lose opportunity in the future in business. And but at the same time, that's that's what God wants from us: is take those risks. Right. Yeah, that's good. And like leaning into those spaces that feel uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Like healthy conflict, I think. Mm -hmm because it's a privilege for me to walk away from conflict and reject the person I'm in conflict with, but it requires something of me that's very costly to move towards it yeah. and honoring of their humanity, caring for them, humbly recognizing my own place in it. And then also speaking truthfully about the cost of their sin towards me. Those mm -hmm. are all cost me something that bring about community. And most of the time we just walk away because we're too afraid. Yeah. Or we don't like how it'll make us feel or make us look. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Um, I actually was going to ask you a question about that, but you already answered it in that last thing you just said. So we're going to just skip ahead. We're going to shift gears a little bit. Okay. Um, we'll probably, we'll probably, this will probably be the last question. We'll see. We'll see how. So I'm going to read you a big thing that you said um, and then ask about it again. All right, so you said, we have enough for the thing that God has called us to. Anytime you feel like you don't have enough, the answer isn't that God didn't give you enough of what he's called you to. The answer is you're doing stuff you're not supposed to be doing, and you're feeling anxiety about things you're not supposed to be anxious about. Because everything God has called you to, he has empowered you, he has equipped you, he has given you energy and power and time for the thing he's called you to. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's so good. Um, as a person that tries to do a lot of things and feels pretty anxious a lot of the time um, about all the things and the different things that I'm doing, uh, that just felt so helpful to me. So first of all, thank you. I loved that. Um, and then secondly, how would you say that we can start to discern like what God is calling us into if we're feeling overwhelmed or like we're doing too much. Um, and then what would you just say are some like encouragement for discerning God's voice um, in general 
um, in our everyday moments where God meets us? Like, how can we say, this is how God is equipping me? How do we start to discern that out? Well, I think you know me, Alyssa, so you know that I'm probably the least qualified person to answer this question. <laughs> um, I will share a couple of things. The, the first is I need that, what I just spoke on a week ago Sunday, I needed that spoken back to me. Like I need that as a daily reminder that the yeah. yoke and the burden of God are light and easy. Mm -hmm. And that as much burden as I feel for the lost in my neighborhood and the people in my life and the opportunities to see the kingdom of God come in a now but not yet kind of way, I need to remember that um, God has set me in time and space, that he's given me a body and he's given me 168 hours a week and he's given me my kids and he's given me my work and that everything that he has for me fits in there. Mm -hmm. I'm, I need to remember that anytime that I'm feeling like I don't have enough, um, that's a recalibration moment. We call those Kairos moments where the kingdom of God is trying to break in and free me <laughs> from the burden of expectation and demand that, that is, is only driven by the unformed places in me, the appetites, the ambition and approval that um, the temptations that are just driving me to get more, be more, be seen as more. Yeah. Oh. Mm -hmm. I've three things. Um, and so one of my practices that has helped me more than anything is that uh, three and a half, four years ago, my wife and I just started getting really serious about Sabbath. And so there's this Friday night, Tomorrow night, I'm going to be done with work till Saturday night after dinner. There's no work that happens at that time, and it'll have to wait. And once you create that boundary, mm -hmm. your work and the expectations around you flow around that time. Yeah. And Sabbath is this, um, it's an act of worship because it, it, it recognizes rhythms that God built into the universe of six and one. Yeah days of work, one day of rest. It recognizes that I'm not God and that I'm not responsible for all things and that my work has an end. Um, and it challenges the people around you to live in a way that's radically um, opposed to our German, Northern European Protestant work ethic that always says more, more, more. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a way to resist the kingdom of this world is to say no to work. Mm -hmm. now, some people have the opposite problem and they're just looking for a constant leisure and their hedonists. <laughs> they need, they need good work and they need important work to do to engage their souls. That's not your, my problem. Those are other people's problems. <laughs> our, our problem is the opposite. Yeah. Uh, so I'd say Sabbath is like a key way. Secondarily, um, recognizing that every day is filled with the hours it has. And when you're done, you're done. And it, you're, the work will always be there. I love what Jesus talks about the poor. Uh, you know, Judas is trying to guilt Jesus into, you know, saving this beautiful pure nard and selling it to give to the poor. And the way that like he, he, he deals with, he deals with the evil in, um, Judas's heart by 
revealing a taste of the kingdom, which is that there is enough for everything. Mm, yeah. Nothing. The poor will always be with you. And that the poor and the work before us will always be there. Yeah. It's never ending. It will eat you alive. And in ministry, there's a demanding church member who will always eat your lunch if you give them everything that you have. They don't deserve it. They're, they don't, it doesn't belong to them. And they're stealing it from the things God's called you to. And so the work is to have those boundaries in place to say, God has given me this much time and this much energy and this much money. And I'm going to live within the means that he's entrusted to me until he's given me more. This is all I have. Mm. And that requires some identity work of understanding who we really work for. You know, Alyssa, you work for me in like four different jobs, <laughs> but yep. you're not, you're responsible to me in a temporal sense, but I'm not your boss. The king of the universe is your boss and he is the one who's directing your life and you're responsible to him for how you spend it. And we have a contractual agreement for you to spend some hours doing some things for me in some ways. And outside of that, I don't have the right to demand anything of you. Right. And, and that's where you, we have those clear boundaries. It, it, it frees us mm -hmm. in incredible ways. Yeah, that's good. Um, yes, that I love that. Can you connect um, a little bit more just talking about you, you talked about how it's like you have like a tiny Pharisee on your shoulder being like, you're not doing enough. Um, can you just talk more about even if you're a person that like, maybe has a hard time like believing in that easy yoke that Jesus is talking about those soft ways that the kingdom is breaking in? Um, how can we start to really just like believe those, like believe the, the true messages rather than like the lies that are always in our ear? Hmm. If we're like in a spot where it's like, well, I believe everything you're saying, like in my mind, but it's not like registering in my body. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think uh, we've, we talk a lot about how it's our practices that shape how we believe. Yeah, right. And this is one of those areas where you have to choose to stop working to see <laughs> that God will provide. Yeah. That's, and to see that your identity is not tied to your work. You have, you have to, you have to dive out and like take the plunge before you're going to see that you're safe. Right. And that's, that's what you got to do. And so that's why Sabbath and like ceasing work in the evening and choosing to have healthy boundaries in our work and friend relationships is where, you know, take place. Um, and that little Pharisee on your shoulder it's not the voice of God. Like no. any voice of condemnation is not the voice of God. It's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts of sin, of judgment, and of righteousness, which is us feeling, when we feel out of sorts with the world and when um, our bodies reject our sinful nature, that's, that's the voice of God. Right. That, that voice is almost always, uh, for me, it's my older brother. <laughs> and, you know, like we worked together from the time I was, you know, 10 years old till I was uh, doing lawn work and roofing. And I was a little kid. I was a preteen working 40 hours a week on a roof. And of course, I didn't I, I didn't have enough. And he constantly had to keep me working. And so that's the voice in the back of my head. And I, I know Jonathan doesn't think that way anymore. 
but the voice is still resonating. And so I have to take that off my shoulder and say, that's not true. And then I have to remember and speak the words of my father in Mark chapter one, when Jesus is being baptized before he does any work, before he steps out and proclaims the kingdom of God, before he pulls his disciples in, before he does any miracles, the father, the king of all creation speaks down and says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then in, in one version, it says, listen to him. <laughs> um, and, I, and I think that like that should be the starting point for us is like, I receive in Christ the place of beloved son, mm -hmm. beloved daughter. And it's not because of any work I've done or any good I do, but it's who I truly am. Now I work out of my identity. I'm mm -hmm. in the father and I want to please him because I love him, not because I'm afraid of him. And so doing that identity work is really vital. And you need, you need somebody to come along and say, Hey, what's that voice you're listening to? That's a lie. You need a friend who challenges you to, to take on the truth of the voice of God. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. It's interesting how it, all of those things, really the core of them all come back to like, who do you believe that you are? all back into your identity it's so interesting that's great yeah all right well thank you i think that's a good place to end we'll just stop right there yeah thank you so much that was great it was fun next week you should have uh andrew and jesse on to like talk about their commissioning it's gonna be good okay great we'll do that all right sounds talk great sounds good we'll see you soon bye everybody thanks again for listening Make sure to subscribe to get the weekly episodes in your podcast feed. You can find out more on how to get connected with Redemption Hill at redemptionboise.org slash connection, where you can fill out the connect card and start your journey today. For regular encouragement throughout the week, follow us on Instagram at redemptionboise. We are so glad you're here and are excited to accompany you in your story with God. We hope to see you soon.